The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, the rest of the Brian Walsh interview. Just when you thought you knew how to interpret blood chemistries? Nope. Albumin, bilirubin, and HDL, look out. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to The Lab Report. I hope you made some space in your brain, Michael. There's no space left. From it's, last episode? It's the aisles of a thrift store in there. <laughs> it's blue green. Hello! Hey, Michael Chapman. Welcome to The Lab Report. Hi, Patty Devers. Thank you very much. And welcome everyone out there to The Lab Report. This is a Genova podcast mm-hmm. where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, yeah. integrative therapeutics, and the like. That's right. And... A dramatic pauses in there. It really was. Yeah. I got a little bit nervous. Yeah, gotcha. Well, before it's we called, get... hooked you. <laughs> Trying to slow you down. Put some speed bumps in there. <laughs> Worked. Before we get to Dr. Brian Walsh, uh-huh. I think people should go to iTunes or Spotify and subscribe to this podcast. And maybe hit some stars, rate so, and review. Huh? Yeah. That would be nice. That would be nice. I mean, mm. if you're feeling nice, yeah. if you're yes. feeling like contributing to this program, yeah. you're, you know, you've gotten a lot of content out of it. Yeah. You're learning, hopefully, uh, or you're unlearning. Ooh. Wow. Then do that, man. Hit this, hit those uh, stars. Yeah. Give us a little bit of a review. Say, hey, I unlearned all this bad information, <laughs> and then I learned <laughs> some other information. And uh, you can also email us if there's additional information you'd like to learn that we haven't talked about yet. Podcast at gdx.net is the email address to reach us. And today, mm-hmm. Chappers, what are we talking about today? Oliver, I have an answer for you. What is it? We're doing the rest of the Brian Walsh interview, and let's just talk a little bit about how great Brian Walsh yeah. is. Well, if you remember last episode, we started talking to Dr. Walsh, and he really makes you stop and question everything we think we know. I thought that I had a favorite color, and I don't even know what that is anymore. <laughs> it's true. But it is true in medicine, right? We, it's always important to stop question what we think we know, question what we're being told to make sure that it's true. And it's something that most people don't have that same healthy curiosity. So he just looks at things so differently. Well, and I also think we are perfectly fine with questioning conventional medicine in Mm -hmm. this space, right? We're perfectly fine with saying, oh, maybe we should rethink the use of statins or we should rethink this therapy or this assessment. But then do we apply that to our own functional medicine assumptions? I think all these things that yeah. we've talked about, do we, do we apply that same level of scrutiny? And I think that's what Dr. Walsh does. He holds up a big mirror and says, everyone take a look, let's stop. And in the second part of this amazing interview, we're going to delve a little bit into traditional blood chemistries and things that we thought we knew. Really? Traditional blood chemistries? Mm-hmm. Is nothing safe anymore? No. Purple. Really? You just remembered your favorite color? I mean, I think it's my favorite color. Oh, my God. I don't really know anymore. Let's call Dr. Walsh. I mean, it's just super fascinating. And I I love that you come to the table, as you say, with uh, a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. I think, first and foremost, I think that's how we should introduce ourselves to each other. 
should, that should just be our mantra when we greet each other. <laughs> um, but you've also brought a lot of, I guess, interesting points to just simple blood chemistries. You know, we, we talk a lot about some of the specialty labs, but, you know, not as much on, on how we interpret these blood chemistries. And I'm just wondering, can you give us some examples of how basic chemistries, common traditional markers can be interpreted a step deeper? Okay, and you guys have like the rest of the day to talk about this, right? <laughs> no, so, so again, it's just in full honesty, full transparency, humility, integrity. Um, that is easily hands down my favorite subject of all. I, I, get, I get distracted, you know, um, on detox or these other questions that will come up about uh, SIBO or adrenal fatigue, like I said, or, you know, high dose isolated vitamin D, all these different things. Those are distractions. But my, my passion has been blood chemistry for a very long time. And um, for, for the simple reason that it's a really old test. And something told me early on in my career that I hadn't, I was taught it. I learned it in school. I went to some seminars on it. <clears throat> but there was, I just didn't believe that what was being talked about was everything there was. It's this really old test. You can't tell me that we have that much ADHD in the, in the scientific industry where we're going to just discount the most inexpensive, scientifically validated, you know, understood tests of all time. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and we're still not doing research on it. So I started looking into some of these things and it was such a, this too was just such an eye opener on, in my humble opinion, how I'll just say misguided uh, we are as a medical industry, both conventional and integrative uh, when it comes to blood chemistry. Now, I, I got into this industry as a personal trainer, learning functional medicine tests, just to give you that background. Sure. I was hook, line, and sinker, you know, urinary endocrine, adrenal. I was, man, I was like, these are the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. So I, I, I'm familiar with functional medicine. I mean, it's, it's been there. It's, it's a staple. It's useful. But <clears throat> I am of the uh, idea now that there's no better test than a blood chemistry. Every single practitioner all over the place should be using that as their first and foremost test on every single patient because you can tell more information that's scientifically validated than anything else. But we're messing it up. This is another place we're messing it up. And there's a few areas, but if you guys would uh, allow me on this, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll give you some examples. So it. please, oh, please. Yeah. Two, ma two major areas. All right. Well, listen, if you're good, I'm good. I just, <laughs> <clears throat> my kids are just upstairs giving my wife a headache right now. So. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. This is, this is our life. Um, so the, one of the first places is in the reference range. Now, you guys, I mean, of, of anybody else in the industry, you know the importance of the reference range. Yep. It is more important than the marker. That's right. That the That's reference right. range dictates yep. whether something is high or low, out of the range or not, and whether a doctor needs to intervene with some kind of intervention and and to be able to track it. It is, it is the most critical portion of any lab test more important than the markers that are being run is the range. Now, yes. um, this is problem number one, because I, I'll just take a really basic marker like albumin. I could use a whole bunch of them, but albumin. <clears throat> if you look at, uh, well, I'll ask you guys, what, what is a, what would you consider a normal reference range for albumin? Hmm. Four to six. I don't That's know. cool. Yeah. Six is a little high. I'd say like four to five. So okay. a lab core agrees with you. Lab core says between four and five quest, just follow the numbers on this says 3.6 to 5.1. Mm -hmm. The Mayo clinics albumin is 3.5 to 5.0. Uh, the AFP, the, the American association of family physicians, I think it is, is three, all the way down to 3.3 to 4.8. Hmm. I, I could go on. I researched hmm. this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now that is a, an, an enormous problem. 
the fact that you can have a, let's say 3.9 albumin level and on one lab you're normal, but on another lab it's low. Sure. Right. And that's not physiology, man. Like this, that is, that is a, I mean, we talk about problems in the world. This is a huge problem. The fact that there's no standardized reference range, not from the labs, but from the scientific literature is a huge, enormous, confusing problem. Mm -hmm. And so instead, and I've spent well over a decade and still do this. It's just, I just, I just love this is trying to come up with, it's like, it's like a game for myself is can I come up with the best, most optimal reference range for markers that I possibly can not even for patients, but for myself. And so I'll give you an example. So um, here's, there's a few papers I could sort of tell you about. There was one paper. It was a really small study. It was only 1.7 million people, just to give you an idea. 1.7 million, quote unquote, healthy people, by the way. And it was found that an albumin below 4.3 greatly increased your risk of mortality. Um, in the neighborhood of anywhere between 158 to 185% increased wow. risk of mortality as your albumin dropped down below 4.3. So I read a paper like that and I think, well, I don't want my albumin to be a low, below 4.3. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then you start looking at all these other labs where it's 3.3, 3.6, and, and that's horrible. Then there's, but then there's more. Um, some other studies, one study by itself isn't enough. Granted, uh, 1.7 million people is, is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another study that was, uh, I think it was the Framingham, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. There was one study, I think it was Framingham, that showed that uh, an albumin above 4.7, which is actually really high, uh, had the lowest all-cause mortality. There was another paper that looked at uh, people that had vascular dysfunction and found that an albumin below 4.4 was had an increased association uh, a positive associate with uh, with vascular dysfunction. So, anyways, the point is, is the literature is out there, and you have to look around, and it takes a long time, and it's not particularly easy. But based off all of that, I am really comfortable with a reference range of albumin of four point five to five point zero, and and to the point that you could bring like you know the, the surgeon general, like that's probably the highest medical position in the U.S., could come and question me about my reference range. And I will hand them a stack of papers that says, here's the rationale for this reference range. And you know that in integrative medicine, and I joke around with practitioners about it, we believe a lot in what we do, but we also question some things. Mm-hmm. Like, and I know that there's, if you guys haven't, there's practitioners that are listening to this that will recommend something to their patient. And in their head, they think to themselves, well, I sure hope this works. You know? yeah, and yeah. then when it does, they're like, wow, fantastic. What yeah. do you know? Mm-hmm. There's things that were exercise will generally improve most people. A good, healthy diet will improve most people. If you give them that supplement, you're like, well, I think it'll work. Let's find out. I feel so much confidence with the reference ranges that I have for my blood chemistry values that I've been searching for for the past 10 years because, because it's all backed up in the literature and not by some arbitrary small study. I mean, these are, these are major cohort type studies. Yeah. So number one is the reference range is abysmal when it's used from uh, standard labs. The other problem is, is then, so people will just start throwing around some numbers. Well, that, that's clearly too obtuse of a reference range for albumin. Let's just make up something that sounds better, Mm -hmm. right? Let's tighten up the bookends a little bit, Mm -hmm. or do plus or minus one standard deviation, which is, is legitimately a, a good scientific idea. But there's papers out there, and I do believe that as an industry, we could be doing a lot better job with our reference ranges, and like I said, the literature's out there. Now, the second place that we're really messing this up, I think, 
And again, I'll go ahead and say this is nobody's fault. I'm not any smarter than anybody else, quite honestly. I just, I just question a lot of things and I look around and I've tried to put some pieces of the puzzle together. Is the narrative that we're telling about the biomarkers. So to use albumin as an example, first of all, high albumin is pretty much only dehydration. That's about it. It's kind of boring. I've, I've looked for more because that was too boring. There's got to be another reason for high albumin. There's not. It's, it's, it's dehydration. Usually when you ask if albumin, most people know albumin's high as dehydration. If you ask if it's low, in the functional medicine world, the, the story that's been told about this is they'll say, well, it's albumin is a protein made in the liver. Maybe it's liver dysfunction. Or a, a really common one is malnutrition, malnutrition uh, protein deficiency. Mm. That is still taught to dietetics and medical doctors in school. I've asked them. But it turns out, so let's, 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 really dissect some of this. It turns out that according to the literature, you only have to have 10% of liver function, 10%, and then albumin will drop. So if a practitioner is looking at albumin, it's below 4.5, which is the range that I like. Let's say it's 4.3, 4.2. And you think, hmm, I wonder if this is liver dysfunction. Chances are probably not. Right. That person has lost 90% of liver function, only has 10% left, and then and only then will it go down. Another one, and there is plenty of literature on this, man, is it is not a marker of malnutrition. I will say this again. It is not, al low albumin is not a marker of, of malnutrition. That appears to be the case in the scientific literature. Again, my big thing is we've been wrong before. Could we be wrong now? Maybe I'm wrong saying this. I've looked into this a lot. There are uh, review papers that have looked at people who have been uh, on a almost a starvation diet for six months, their albumin does not go down. Chronic anorexia, albumin does not go down. So to say that low albumin is because of hydrochloric acid deficiency or protein malnutrition mm. or just malnutrition in general has been disproven. That that hasn't made its way into medical circles where yeah. people are talking about these things. Um, it could be loss. It's a small protein. If your kidneys aren't working well and you're spilling things out of your kidneys or you're spilling things out of your gut in an enteropathy kind of way, that could cause low albumin. So th this is the story that I tell about all the markers, by the way. So you have a patient that comes in. They have low albumin. What is it? Probably not. Probably not liver dysfunction because they'll have some serious other issues going on. It's probably not uh, protein malnutrition or hydrochloric acid deficiency unless they've been starving for over six months, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but you'd probably know that too, I would think, as a clinician looking at your patient. Mm -hmm. um, it could be loss, or, you know, but, but severe loss. Your kidneys are not working well, like a nephrotic syndrome or ulcerative colitis in the gastrointestinal tract or Crohn's where they're losing it. The only other thing that it probably is then at this point is inflammation. And it turns out that low albumin is a tremendous marker of, of inflammation. That things like tumor necrosis factor alpha, uh, it seems interleukin-1, possibly interleukin-6, suppress hepatic production of insulin. So if TNF-alpha is up, albumin will tend to go down. And so it's this, it becomes this really strong marker of inflammation. What kind of inflammation? No idea. Where? No idea. But that something's going on. And then it would explain why these papers that say a low albumin has an increased risk for mortality because you have some kind of inflammation going on, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The only other caveat to this, and I'll, and I'll let you guys, sorry for taking up so much of the, the chat time here, no. um, is there's a, there's a science of blood chemistry but there's also an art 
So I'm going to take this one step further. So what, it, okay, here, here's your quiz. I'll, I'll put you guys on the spot. If albumin is high, what did we say that it probably is? Dehydration. Perfect. Paying attention. Very good. And the woman, <laughs> not the man. If it's just kidding, totally kidding. If it's low, it's probably in most nutritional practices today, inflammation. So now answer this for me. If high albumin is dehydration, low albumin is inflammation. Could you have somebody that's both dehydrated and inflamed at the same time? And what would their albumin potentially be? Normal. 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 Beautiful. Exactly. Hmm. So that's the art of a blood chemistry. Yeah. So when you see normal albumin on somebody, you can't say you are not dehydrated, nor are you inflamed. You need to look at the rest of the blood chemistry story. And that's the, the another problem that we do is we look at a marker by itself and we don't put it all together in the story that it's trying to tell us. So then let's say you looked around at the rest of the lab and you see uh, red blood cell hemoglobin, hematocrit's a little bit high, uh, BUN creatinine might be a little bit high. Um, let's say you have specific gravity and it's really concentrated. Those are all screaming dehydration. Mm -hmm. And so then you look at it and you're like, well, how come the, how come albumin's not higher when this person is clearly dehydrated based on all the markers of dehydration? And then, and this is the beauty of it. It's kind of like the matrix when the walls started turning into numbers. And just, <laughs> That's how no, I really, feel. That's really I'm how serious I about this <laughs> because how cool would it be to look at a marker that had no inflammation markers where albumin was normal, but because you see this person is clearly dehydrated by looking at the other markers of dehydration, and then you look back at albumin, you're like, wait a minute, albumin should be higher. Yeah. If this person was hydrated, what would it be? It would be lower. Mm -hmm. And then you say, you know what? I think this person has inflammation, but their, their lab is hiding it from me. And so I, I can go on and on about this. The same is true for the, the CBC. You could be dehydrated uh, and anemic, and it will come back as normal, for example. There's so many different things where there's a pull and a tug in different directions, and it shows up as normal. And really what this comes down to is I believe that patients are not getting what they deserve from, from practitioners. Yeah. I think we could be doing a better job. The only problem is, is, is it's hard. Yeah. Practicing is hard. It takes yeah. thought and a lot of it. And we have to think about these things. And it's not just about protocols. And someone comes in and, you know, you have five bottles on your shelf of something that's about to expire because you went to a seminar and they had a deal on it. Mm -hmm. You're like, here, take this. You know, I, I think that patients, like we're all potentially patients too. We deserve a lot from our practitioners. And we as practitioners, I think can be doing more. And all I'm trying to do is, I'm, God knows I'm not saying I'm right about any of this stuff. I clearly might be wrong. Um, but we need, I think we need to have different conversations about a lot of the things that we're doing. So okay. that's no, kind of I, my yeah. circles back. Around. That is awesome. And thank you so much for that information. I, I can agree with you more. And I, it's, you know, that spins off into so many different tendrils and so many different questions. I feel like we could spend the entire day <laughs> talking to you, but know. Uh, knowing just the, just getting the little bit of information that we've gotten out of the last 45 minutes of our talking, I, I, I think we definitely need to get into where, clinicians can find more information and, and maybe... Yeah, I mean, we know that Dr. Walsh has this website called metabolicfitnesspro.com. And of all these amazing topics we cover here today and all the questions that were raised, he, you cover a lot of these topics and even more on that website. And the tagline of the website is stop guessing and start knowing what to do with your patients, which is kind of what we're talking about here. Every clinician wants to do this. So that's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the clinicians can expect from your courses? 
Yeah. And if you don't mind, I'll tell a short story about that too. So when my wife and I, we met in naturopathic school, which made a really expensive date, but it was worth <laughs> it. I, I'd, I'd spend it again in a heartbeat or oh. twice that. Um, we, we got out and, you know, our, edu- well, our education was kind of lackluster. It didn't teach us as much as we thought we wanted to know. And we're sitting in front of patients and we realized we really didn't know as much as we probably should have, um, especially in blood chemistry. And so we started going to seminars, which is a really common thing to do. Uh-huh. And the short version of the story is we went to these seminars and we were pretty diligent with our stuff. Um, we would try the protocols. We would try the different things. And it just it wasn't working the way that I think it was presented that it was going to work or that we sort of thought these seminars were telling us it was, it seemed easy, but it wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And so again, this is just a true story. I decided that I, well, you want to know the real true story. I was looking at albumin on a, on a lab and I was like, isn't that the stuff in egg whites? I mean, what is, what is albumin really? I, I, I don't know. And I didn't know it was, it was there. I could look up what it means if it's high or low, but I didn't know what albumin was. And so I thought, well, I'm going to find out. And I read, and I read, and I read, and I read some more. And I owned albumin. I knew where it was, the size of it, how it was made, when it was made, the conditions it was made. And then all of a sudden, I could look back at the list of things that if albumin was high or low, and I was well, sure, of course that's what it means because I know albumin, that makes sense. Yeah. And so then I was like, well, let me go to another marker. And the next one was MCV. I knew what it stood for, but I didn't know what the heck it meant. I really didn't. And so... What happened was, is the more I read biochemistry and physiology, like really read it, not to pass a test, to understand this stuff, to put things together, the, the easier, the more I started knowing what to do with patients and wasn't guessing. And so what I did is when I find something to be revolutionary for me and to help me in my practice and to help me with my patients, then I generally turn that into a course because I remember how naive I felt, how how frustrated I felt, how honestly, how embarrassed I felt with, with patients not knowing what something was. And so what I do is I, I make courses that I wish were available to me when I first started, because I know for a fact it would have made my life so much easier. And some of the best feedback I get, you know, my, my favorite, the, the, the new practitioners are cool. They're fun. They're excited. They're ambitious. Mm-hmm. It's the old ones I love. You know, the ones have been practicing for like 30 or 40 years. Just yeah. these, these old seasons. They've got their bumps and their bruises. They've seen trends come and go. That they'll watch something like biochemistry and will tell me, you know what? I've heard about the electron transport chain. I can't even tell you how many times, but this is the first time I, it actually makes sense. Mm. And, and I can put it together. I just had an old practitioner one time watch one of my glucose courses. And he emailed me and he said, you know what? He said, what you taught in there is making, making certain patients of mine make so much sense. And that's the light bulb. It's, it's, it's when you get something, when you understand something, the light bulb goes on and you have confidence. And instead of following someone else's protocol or going online and, and saying, well, what protocol should I get for this? Is you know biochemically, physiologically, how this stuff works. And, and I'll say, listen, how, how sexy is biochemistry? I'm, I'm asking the wrong people, I realize. But <laughs> generally, are, generally speaking, it's not. Yeah. Or, or, or like, let's, let's break open a physiology textbook. Most people would want to learn about, you know, methylation pathways or whatever cool, fancy, shiny new pathway is the pathway of the month or whatever micronutrient, whatever it is, because that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Physiology is old. But I will tell you, the more you know, and you already know this, about biochemistry and physiology, 
the more you can make sense of lab tests, even if you're not even familiar with a lab test, you can give me a Genova test and I don't know what the marker is, or I could, you can make sense of it because you know physiology. You can read about the mechanism of action of a drug or the mechanism of action of an herb or a micronutrient. And, and things, I mean, I made a joke about the matrix, but it's like taking the red or the blue pill. When you take one, it changes things and you, you don't get confused as much. You don't get stuck with patients as much. Um, the universe tends to give you more challenging ones, which is not fun, but um, <laughs> if, if that all makes sense, it's, yeah. it's, oh. it, is, it is the crux of everything. It is not about the fancy, cool new pathway that was just discovered you know, 10 minutes ago. Right. Oh, yeah. It's about these old, old pathways, these old things that uh, people are still looking at. Anyhow, so, so that's what it is. It's just a bunch of old-fashioned, on-the-whiteboard type of courses um, where I try to teach people uh, things that will hopefully help make them uh, happier, more confident, and more successful practitioners. I love that. And actually, you're speaking to two big biochemistry geeks here, so totally. we love it. <laughs> and to be completely honest, I've watched many of your videos on your YouTube channel, like about cell, the cell blueprint and the organization. Oh, yeah. It's They're great. Even, yeah. even for two of us who have been you know, in biochemistry and in the literature, I love these videos. And there's just something really compelling about the way you teach them. So I think people should totally check that out. Well, yeah, I sure appreciate it. It's super inspirational. And I, I think, man, it just... It it really makes me want to go back to the the, the basics of what I thought I knew yeah, and reevaluate exactly. all those different biomarkers from standard chemistry and just, I mean, question everything. And I, I can't say how much I appreciate that approach. No, I love what you just said. There was a, there was a, you know, you've heard that phrase, leave no stone unturned. Right. I read this thing, it was months ago, but they said, leave stones unturned. Stop look, Stop frantically running around looking for the next best, greatest hot topic in any industry. It doesn't matter, but including this one. Like, stop looking around for the greatest thing because we've been looking for a magic bullet, as far as I can tell, when you look at medical history for hundreds of years, yeah. mm -hmm. and we've yet to find it. And so I say, stop, stop turning over everything stone looking for the next greatest thing and just turn over a stone and evaluate that one and you just said it you said go back and look at a marker that you thought you knew about and look what the literature says about it um bilirubin you probably know this low bilirubin is a phenomenal marker of fat soluble oxidative stress uh, a high hdl which everybody thinks is great is generally a marker of uh, lipopolysaccharides endotoxemia and potentially intestinal permeability in the literature but, but what practitioner sees the HDL at 75 and says, wow, you know what? You might have endotoxemia. Let's, let's take a closer look at what might be going on from an infectious point of view with you. And so um, I love what you said, because maybe it's not about the next great, latest, greatest thing. Maybe it's looking back at where we've been and seeing if we can make more sense of things that seem old. I, I use the phrase old but gold. And, and I, I think that that's what, that's what these yeah. markers are. It's, there's still no test that can replace this. As much as there's great, awesome functional medicine labs, blood chemistry can tell you tons if you're using a good reference range um, and if you're using the latest information about the biomarkers. Yeah. Amazing. And just stay excitedly curious. That's uh, right. Just, totally, I mean, totally. It's, uh, it's, that's fantastic information. I, we could honestly talk to you for hours and hours and hours. Um, I'm not going to waste all your time because you have five kids to, to hang around <laughs> and play with. So um, thank you so much this for spending amazing, some time with us. amazing, Dr. Walsh. Sure. Thank you for being here. That was a lot of fun. You guys did a great job. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. All right, all right you take care. Thanks, you too. Hmm. What's your yeah. favorite color, Patty? I, I like autumnal colors, like deep red and burnt orange and gold. And yeah, you sure? I think I, I'm rethinking everything at this point. Yeah. 
You know, what I do think is important to mention is that Dr. Walsh mentioned reference ranges and how important reference ranges mm. are to the labs. I can't emphasize that enough. That is such a great point that he made. And, you know, that's something I never thought about until I started to work for this lab company. And you see the rigor by which the lab director here holds a standard by which Genova is held. Yeah. And you don't realize that how important the reference range is. A lab test lab. is only as so good important. as the reference range. When he said that, I said, that's so profound. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to uh, recap there, Patty? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to call Dr. Walsh once a week with a list of questions. Can we do that? Um, he knows everything. Have you seen these videos? The guy's brilliant. I'd like to do that, but I kind of feel bad. I mean, he's, he's kind of busy. He's got five kids. He's got a lot going on. True. Let's not bother him all the time. All right. Call him tomorrow? Sure. Next time on The Lab Report, we interview Dr. Kasha Kynes. Yeah, she's a functional nutritionist and an expert in EBV. Everything bagel varieties? I thought you were off the bagels. Yeah, I'm just fantasizing. Sorry. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. So EBV, Epstein-Barr virus. Yeah. Epstein and Barr are two separate people or is it one person with a hyphenated name or is there even a hyphen? No, it's, yeah, it's two people, right? Larry Epstein and Harvey (laughs) Barr. (laughs) That's a lie. You just made that up. What are you talking about? <laughs> Look it up. I think he went to high school with Larry Epstein. And Harvey Barr? No. They were good friends in high school. <laughs> <laughs>